Hey everybody, this is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we are beginning chapter 15 and we're talking about the resurrection of Christ and we'll hopefully get to cover the resurrection of the dead in the following section. We'll see how far we get. But Paul is about to review with the Corinthians what he has already told them before. And let's see what he has to say about the interesting topic of the resurrection. So let's read this together. Look at verses 1 through 11. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead. On the third day, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than five hundred of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, even though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. All right. So let's stroll through this thing together. <clears throat> now, the focus of the section is the resurrection of Christ, but really the resurrection is just the completion of the entire message of the gospel. So in reality, Paul is talking about the message of the gospel and how it applies to these uh, people in the church in Corinth. And the resurrection is really the icing on the cake. It is the completing factor. It's what makes the message of the gospel such good news because... If you leave off the resurrection, the gospel is actually, uh, it would be sad news. Not good news, sad news. Because Jesus uh, was this amazing person. He was the son of God. And he died an unjust death. And the end. But the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead because he was resurrected, that's what makes the gospel good news. That's what gospel means. The gospel the word gospel means good news. And Paul reminds the church of Corinth that they welcome this message and that they were all saved by it and will remain so if they continue to believe the message of the gospel. Now, something that I want to draw your attention to is that Paul said you will remain saved if you continue to believe. Now, let's track back through 1 Corinthians so far. And look at all the issues and the sins that these people were dealing with. So, um, they were obviously a divided people. They were arguing over which apostle they followed and had been baptized by. Many did not even want to acknowledge Paul as an apostle. They were prideful. They thought they were wise and intelligent. They were ate up with sexual immorality. They were allowing a man to remain in the church who was living in sexual sin with his mother-in-law, which was not only a sin according to God, but it was also detestable in the eyes of the pagan Roman culture they were living in. 
They were suing one another over civil issues. They were bringing their issues out into the public to be decided on by pagan sinful people. Some were divorcing their husbands and wives to abstain from sex in order to be more pious as to elevate themselves over their brothers and sisters in the church. Some struggle with participating in idol worship due to consuming uh, meat offered at pagan temples. And their times of worship were fractured. Um, they were disorganized. They were um, they were divided. They were uh, very tense. I mean, it wasn't a place where you could go to actually worship with the Lord and find peace, but it was very a volatile um, setting. They desecrated the Lord's Supper by not giving food to the hungry and needy, and we just finished reading about how they were trying to use spiritual gifts to elevate themselves above one another, which was causing further disruption in their times of worship in their churches. I mean, these people were obviously a mess. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And yet, they were still saved. Now, I think that's really cool, considering all the things that they're struggling with, and Paul's writing to them. He still refers to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He still tells them that if you continue to believe in the message of the gospel, then you will be saved. And I want to use this as a time to teach each of you a little bit about um, our church's theology, our denomination's uh, theology, in regards to um, eternal security. And basically, just like, it, it, if you're saved, are you always saved, or can you reject that salvation? And as um, when you look at verse 2... Um, our denomination fully supports what verse 2 says. Um, as long as you keep believing in Christ, you will continue to be saved. However, if you stop believing in Christ and turn away from your faith in Him, then your salvation is no longer held because as, as our church, Wesleyans, our denomination, as we believe that we are saved through faith alone, and we also believe that we have free will, so we have the free will to accept Christ in our hearts, but we also believe that we have the free will to reject Christ even after we have received him, that we still have the free will to reject him. So, we get a lot of flack over that um, from one denomination in particular that believes that once you're saved, you're always saved, no matter what. Um, <clears throat> they accuse us of believing that we can lose our salvation, which in no way is what we believe as as a denomination or as a church. We don't believe that you can just lose your salvation. We don't believe that you wake up one day and, oh, it's gone. Where did it go? Where can I go find it? Like, that is not what we believe at all. So we believe that you just have the free will to reject Christ. And there are many people, um, really one of the big things that's happening in our culture today are people who have been Christians who have put their faith in Christ and yet they have deconstructed their faith, and now they will tell you, I'm no longer a Christian. As what we believe according to that theology, we believe that they are no longer covered by the grace of God because they are rejecting Him as their Lord and Savior now. Now, <clears throat> probably the most controversial issue comes with the issue of sin. So do we forfeit salvation after a certain amount of sin? 
And according to Paul, these people who are struggling with a lot of sin are still saved as long as they remain in their faith in Christ. Now, to me, this is very comforting because I think most of us would be honest enough to say that we all struggle with sin at particular times. And that does not give us an excuse to keep on sinning or living a lifestyle of habitual sin. Paul actually writes about that in Romans and how if we have true faith in Christ, we will strive to live lives apart from sin and we will not keep on sinning and bringing shame on the blood of Jesus Christ. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, a cool little verse that we could talk about today. Um, I had a conversation with someone earlier this week about that that theology and just kind of our stance on that. So I uh, felt like it was um, relevant to talk about. I generally don't promote you know, theology and stuff in a lot of our, um, unless it's just a basic Christian principle theology that, that is really important to your relationship with God. I generally don't promote a lot of stuff like that because it's, it's uh, usually kind of pointless. People need to decide for themselves where they stand. And I truly believe that God's Word can show people the correct way. And that I think it's also fair to say that if anyone is living in sin, then there is a problem of some kind that needs to be addressed. No matter what the theology is that we believe. If you believe you're once saved, you're always saved. Or if you believe you can forfeit your salvation... If there's sin in your life, there is a problem, and that needs to be addressed. So believe in Christ, believe that he's called you away from sin, and trust in him to see you into that holiness because he has provided the Holy Spirit in order to help us accomplish that. So that is something that we need to understand. Christ wants to accomplish that in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's move on in the passage. So Paul continues on talking about how he did not make the gospel up, but that he received it just as they did. And it is important to note that the gospel is not a matter of opinion or theology. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on true historic events that were witnessed by more than 500 people. And you must put your trust and faith in this if you want to be saved. Now, Part of that faith is believing that Jesus did all of that in order to cleanse you from your sins. Now, this is the message of good news, which was very, very good news. But it it's puts the responsibility of the death of Christ on each of us as individuals because <clears throat> it was our sins that caused Christ to go to the cross. He died for our sins. But the greatest feat of the gospel is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we said this earlier, the gospel is not good news. It's sad news. But because Jesus lived again, it is the greatest news in all the earth. And Jesus paid our price. And yet he lived beyond the penalty of sin because he is the only one that could overcome death in the grave. He is Jesus Christ, God's son, who died on the cross for our sins was buried in a tomb, and in three days was resurrected from the dead, and he ascended to heaven to go stand beside the Father, to plead on our behalf, and has sent the Holy Spirit to us in order to be filled, to give us the power to live as he lived. And that's really important for us to think about all those things and what they mean. You know, just the simple fact that the resurrection is the icing on the cake for the gospel that, that makes it good news. That's really important. Now, 
Paul finishes talking about the simple message of the gospel by listing everyone who witnessed all of these things. And then last of all was him. He was the last one. And Paul even talks about how you know he kind of felt like he was born out of place or out of order because he was the last one to get this thing, you know. And Paul <clears throat> Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. And he even reminds uh, the Corinthians that, hey, I used to persecute the church. I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be an apostle. But thank God he's called me to be one anyway. Now, <clears throat> Paul is setting the example of what a true Christian should look like. And you have to remember that he did argue with the Corinthians a few chapters back about how he was an apostle. You know, so Paul defends his apostleship. But it's really important to see right here that he has no desire whatsoever to be elevated above any of the other apostles. That's really important. So he wanted to be considered an apostle. That was important. But only because he wanted to <clears throat> give the message to the Corinthians so that they would stop sinning, so that they would grow in their faith, so that they would have eternal life and go to heaven because they've already put so much work in them. He didn't want to lose them. That's why he said, continue believing so that you will still be saved. But Paul's not trying to elevate himself above the other apostles. He just wants to be recognized as an apostle, not elevated above other apostles, which is very different from the Corinthians who are always trying to elevate themselves above one another. And they're even trying to discredit Paul as an apostle to elevate themselves above him. Now, Paul talks about <coughs> how it's basically the greatest privilege to share the good news to this known world. I mean, it's, it's just like that's the most wonderful thing. It doesn't matter if he's better than anybody. He gets to preach the best news in the world. He gets to tell people the greatest news to ever hit the face of this earth. And he does refer to the fact that he has worked harder than all the other apostles and that it's that's probably true. I mean, I, I will attest to that. When we read the New Testament, over well, half of it is Paul's writings to the churches. When we read um, historical documents, when we talk about the mileage that Paul traveled, the number of churches that he started, the number of people that he influenced, he sent the message of the gospel to three different continents. Paul was a big leaguer. <coughs> he did some amazing things, a lot more stuff than what most of the other apostles did. So the fruit of Paul's works are very evident throughout the New Testament and throughout uh, world history. But, um, you know, you look at this, he never considers himself greater than any of the other apostles. He, he talks about the grace of God being on him to allow him to accomplish these tasks, which I think is very important to see and understand. It makes no difference to Paul who gets to preach the message of the gospel because the message is the same and the fact that people get to hear the message is all that matters to Paul anyway. Alright, let's read chapter 15 verses 12 through 23 and we'll begin talking about the resurrection of the dead. But tell me this, <clears throat> since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Is that the case? Or in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. All right. So this section moves on to talk about one more uh, issue with the church in Corinth having. Now some of the people there are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. And this is not surprising. So remember that we've said this many times. There's probably a lot of people in the church in Corinth that are of Jewish background or Jewish ancestry. So... One of the greatest arguments among Jewish people, which is basically the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious leaders, they were constantly arguing over whether or not there was a resurrection. The Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. They were the two major players in this. And they were always arguing about this. So it's not, excuse me, it's not surprising that these people are continuing this argument and questioning this because it's always been a part of their culture. Now, um, it's crept into this church, and Paul confronts this argument because if there's no resurrection, then basically they're saying that Christ has not risen either, which is in direct conflict with the message of the gospel. That means the whole message of the gospel is false and useless as well as the faith of anyone who believed. Now, in the last section at the beginning of this chapter, you remember we talked about the the good news or the gospel would actually be sad news without the message of the resurrection. So if Jesus is God's son, he was born to a virgin, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, the end. That's sad news. It's tragic because... He didn't deserve it, and yet there's no hope for him. He will never live again. But the fact that Christ is resurrected from the dead makes the whole message of the gospel good news, and it makes it the greatest news to ever be on this earth. Now, if Christ did not, um, if he was not resurrected from the dead, then this also makes the, the apostles out to be liars because the message of the gospel has been the same since the very beginning. They haven't changed it. They've always preached this. All of them testify to seeing Christ with their own eyes. And it means that everyone is still guilty of their sins and everyone who has died believing in Christ is actually lost. And that's pretty stinking sad. Think about that for a second. Think about what Christianity is without Jesus being resurrected from the dead. So in verse 19, is actually one of the most important verses in the Bible that you don't hear many people talking about. 
If someone has hope in Christ for this life, or I'm sorry, if someone has no hope in Christ for this life, they should be pitied more than anyone else. And you got to ask yourself, why is that? Why is it that if someone has no hope of, of Christ, no, no, no belief in the resurrection, okay? If you only have this world, and yet you say you believe in Christ, and there's nothing after this world, why is Paul saying that we should be pitied more than anyone else? Well, it's because so much of Christianity calls us to give up, to sacrifice, and to suffer. Jesus' life was an example of giving up, sacrificing, and suffering. And if all there is is this physical world, then people who give up, sacrifice, and suffer in this world are pretty pitiful because they're giving it up for nothing. There's nothing to gain. And that's the whole thing about Christianity is everything that we sacrifice, everything that we give up in the name of Jesus, we believe that we're going to get back um, 10, 30 times, even 100 times greater in eternal life because Christ promised that to us. So, uh, Paul insists that Christ has been raised and he is the first of a great harvest. And God intends to do this with believers in Christ exactly what he did with Christ. He wants to raise them all from the dead. Now, Paul uses the analogy of sin entering the world through one man named Adam. All right, you read about him in Genesis 1 through 3 or 4. And forgiveness of sin is available to the world through one man, Christ. Now, we all belong to Adam. We're all descendants of him. So because of that, we will all definitely die. Now, even though forgiveness of sin is made available to the world, the only people who will get forgiveness of sin is those who receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Those who believe, not just believe, <laughs> I about said it wrong, but those who continue to believe in the message of the gospel throughout the course of their life are the ones who will receive salvation and forgiveness of sin. So the only people who will receive eternal life and forgiveness of sin are those who believe in the one man, Christ. But not just by believing, but continuing to believe in that message. And Paul even talks about the order in which this will happen upon Christ's return. You know, when Jesus comes back, Paul says that everyone who belongs to Christ will be raised to life again. Upon his return. <clears throat> and what a wonderful thought. I mean, what a wonderful thought it is to think like, okay, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what I have to give up, no matter what I have to sacrifice, no matter what I have to suffer through, no matter if Jesus comes back in my lifetime, no matter if I die before he comes back, it does not matter. I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. There's going to be eternal life where we get to dwell with Christ and God in eternity. And we will be paid back time and time and time again everything that we've ever had to give up in this life in the name of Christ. We will be paid back by God. We will be rewarded by God from that. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful truth. 
And to think that if you take away the simple fact that Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, that basically leaves us at a place where we have no hope. And the message of the gospel is a false message because nothing else lines up. It's all false. If Jesus didn't resurrect himself from the dead, then we all have no hope. We're still guilty of sin. There is no eternal life. But thank God that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who did resurrect from the dead, who was living and was witnessed by hundreds of people who testified, not only through Scripture, but even through historical documentation that people have testified <coughs> that they have seen Christ living again even after dying on that cross. So, that's enough for today. We're going to knock off. We will pick back up next week in verse 24 in the middle of that section. And we'll continue on in this awesome discussion about the resurrection, which is basically the icing on the cake of the gospel. So let's pray together. I'll let you guys go. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together, to study your word, to worship you and to serve you. Thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the whole message of the gospel. That God, we don't just believe in part of it or some of it, but God, that we have all of it and we can believe in all of it with confidence because there were so many people who witnessed it with their own eyes. And not only did they witness it, not only did they talk about it, but God, they were willing to die for it. And that is the difference maker, that there were hundreds and thousands of people who saw it with their own eyes and believed it so much that they were willing to die, to suffer greatly, and to die for that message of the gospel. So God, I pray that for every one of us listening today, that you will give us that same faith and help us to trust and believe in you, <clears throat> not only in your life, not only in your word, not only in your grace and mercy, but God, also in the resurrection, and that we would not just believe it for a moment, but God, we would continue to believe it for the rest of our lives so that we will be saved. Lord, we love you. We thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you on campus. But if not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. As always, have a great week.